0: It's game day, USC football fans. Get up to speed on the Trojans and their opponents with the USCfootball.com pre pregame show. Host Ryan Abraham, Shotgun Spratling, and Keely Yer break down the game from all angles with the in-depth analysis, interviews from the practice field, and expert insights from media members covering the opposition. Let's jump right in and kick things off with USCfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham.
1: Hello. Trojan fans, welcome to the uscfootball.com Parastyle pregame show at uscfootball.com. We cover the Trojans 24 hours a day, 365 days a year with reports, analysis, interviews, podcasts, photos, videos, and lots more. Make sure you check out the site for wall-to-wall USC coverage. The Parastyle pregame show is proudly sponsored By Trader Joe's, the college football season is well into November and it's time to start thinking about Thanksgiving. Stop by Trader Joe's and pick up a package of Dan Weber's favorite corn pudding. Grab a bag of stuffing flavored potato chips and check out all the amazing holiday products you can only find at your neighborhood Trader Joe's. All right, let's bring in Keely and Shotgun and give out our awards from the California game.
2: First up with our offensive MVP, he had to go with wide receiver Michael Pittman. 11 receptions for 180 yards and a touchdown. He passed over 1,000 receiving yards on the season. The first time he's done so in his career, he also was named a semifinalist for the Bolitnikoff Award. Just a great night for him and a great season for him overall.
1: Yeah, Pittman's beasting out. Another guy, Greg Johnson, coming off a concussion, comes back after missing the Arizona State game. And you know when you're having a good night when four Cal drives ended up targeting Johnson and all four of those drives ended it three of them were on third downs one was that interception which was the final play of the night so big night for Greg Johnson don't pick on him he ends your drive
3: and then he had a nice run back as well after the interception brought back his uh, running back days from Hawkins High School looked good. You know he would like to get behind that line that USC's got and run behind a guy like Elijah Vera Tucker. He's our lineman of the night. He's a guy actually that had a little bit of time off because Cal was really scheming against him to try to make sure that he couldn't pass block. You know they were trying to do some different things to get get some uh, blitzers against the running backs and stuff and leave him without a man to block because that's how much he's he's being respected by teams. He still has not given up a sack I don't believe this season uh, you know. so that's just a you know, terrific full season uh, progression for Elijah Vera Tucker and he was great again on a Saturday night.
2: Definitely a sign of respect for ABT there. Now when it comes to special teams player or players of the game, I'm actually going to give it to Chase McGrath and Ben Griffiths. Uh, Chase McGrath was 2 for 2, Ben Griffiths 3 for 151 yards. He's averaging 50 yards a punt against Cal uh, good nights for both of them.
1: Yeah, we're going to go with the lighting of the torch. That's our best play of the night. Michael Pittman, that touchdown just before halftime, puts the move on. The defensive back falls down. He's standing there wide open, all alone in the end zone, catches the touchdown pass. Big play for USC. They wanted to score at the end of the first half and score at the beginning of the second half, something they weren't able to do the week prior.
2: Now for the head scratcher of the game, not too many head scratchers when you have a blowout win. I will have to say Isaiah Polamow gets an interception, his third in the last three games. He runs it back, but he fumbles. And I talked to him this week about it, and I said, how much grief did you get for that? And he was like, oh, my teammates won't let me live it down. So he said he's going to definitely hold on to the ball next time.
3: He'll try to get a fourth game in a row this week against UCLA, but the fixer-upper for USC is actually their run defense, not their pass defense. Pass defense was great in the game. The run defense, however, gave up 135 yards on 29 carries. That's a 4.7-yard average, and that's with Christopher Brown, their top running back, out after that big rector hit that he got called for targeting. So they got to clean that up because, obviously, UCLA comes in and UCLA really tore them up on the ground last season.
2: Well, Shotgun, that's a perfect segue into matchups to watch what we'll be looking for in this rivalry matchup against UCLA on Saturday. Joshua Kelly, the UCLA running back, absolutely torched USC last season. 289 yards, the second highest total that any running back has rushed against a USC team. So we're going to look for him against USC's run defense. It's round two of this matchup. Now Clancy Pendergast, USC's defensive coordinator, says it's a totally different uh, circumstance this year. New players, different uh, defensive front for USC. So we'll see, but that's where UCLA had the advantage last year. They could have that advantage this year, so definitely a prime matchup to watch.
1: Another matchup you guys got to watch, Chip Kelly versus Clay Helton. Yes, the head coaches, if you remember last year, UCLA, down in the dumps, 2-8, and eight, but gets a big win over Clay Helton and USC. And that was a feather in Kelly's cap for the entire offseason, the way they were playing at the end of the season. Coming into this one, Clay Helton under fire. A lot of the fan base upset with the way this program is going. He needs to get a big win over UCLA. Get that victory bell. Back. so it could be a huge boost for either head coach. Both want to really win this one badly.
3: Yeah, fans always want to have that rivalry matchup win and USC has lost their last three now to, to Notre Dame and UCLA the last two seasons, so they got to see if they can get one back here against UCLA this weekend. The big matchup for the USC offense is going to be their wide receivers. Those guys are dynamic with Michael Pittman Jr., Amon Ross St. Brown, Tyler Vaughn's and Drake London really emerging as well as that wow. fourth guy yeah. versus a UCLA secondary that it's not so good. <laughs> yeah, they got Darnay Holmes back there who's you know a former all American, but not much else he hasn't got a ton of help there you know they're 123rd in passing defense giving up 298.4 yards a a game and they're not really great in zone defenses which is probably what's best to play against USC because you've seen when Utah and when Cal have tried to play man coverage against USC and they've just been dominated you know Keaton Slovis the last four weeks he's been on fire 15 touchdowns he's doing a really good job of moving around the pocket and finding all his weapons out there including the big guy Michael Pittman Jr. I actually caught up with Michael Pittman Jr. this week to talk about this matchup coming up, his final game in the Coliseum, and you know his connection with Keaton Slovis this season. Michael, your, your final game in the Coliseum, you, what's kind of the emotions going into this one, knowing that it's, it's the final time you're going to play here as a Trojan?
4: Um, I haven't really thought about that yet, so I'm just going to wait and I'm going to take it all in and uh, hopefully we go out with a win. Uh, we have prepared to and we're still preparing and i think that we have a good plan here and i'm just excited to get there and play
3: obviously getting to play against ucla in the crosstown showdown one more time a little bit of a revenge probably on your mind a little bit from last season how do you guys you change what happened last year come back and and be able to get a win in your final game against them
4: um i think it's just keep doing whatever we're doing now um i feel like we're on a good track Right now, I feel like our offense is doing some good stuff, and then our defense is doing some good stuff. So we just got to keep on doing us, and then uh, I think that, or, and then I think that good things will happen for us.
3: Obviously, the offense has been excelling with you and Keaton connecting, you know, over and over the last few weeks. What, what has it been about that connection that's grown as the season has progressed?
4: I would just say that I've built more trust with him, and that he's getting better and better each week. And uh, Keenan's just been throwing me some great passes and just making it easy for me to catch. So
3: this this year, you know, teams have done a lot of different things to try to take you away. Bracket coverage, extra, you know, linebackers out trying to you know bump you early in the routes. Mm-hmm you know how when you know that there's going to be extra stuff kind of designed for you mm-hmm. what what's kind of your mindset going against a defense that's intending to try to take you away
4: so my mindset is just don't get frustrated because that one time that they mess up is when like we'll hit them so i just got to stay focused and don't get frustrated because when it first kind of started happening like it would kind of frustrate me and it took me out of my game and then it wasn't me out there so I stay poised and uh, just know that they're going to slip up once and we just got to hit them that one time.
3: Is there a good example of where a team has been trying to do some things and they slip up that one time?
4: Washington. So they were doubling me pretty hard. And then that one where the safety just didn't get out fast enough, we slipped by them and hit them deep. So uh, just that is probably the best
5: example.
3: You haven't seen a ton of man coverage, just one-on-one, but Cal was a team that tried to do that a little bit against you guys. When you see that there's not a safety over top or, no. you know, they're blitzing and stuff, what's gonna, what goes through your head?
4: I mean, I just think that it's like go time, like it's a touchdown. So that's just a mindset that all of us have, that if we see single or, like, if we just see, like, man, that we're just, like, licking our chops, like, snap it already, hurry up, let's go. So, So that's the mindset that we got.
3: That maturation process, you know, you've been on special teams from your freshman year. You continue to be on a, a number of the teams. Um, what do you tell the younger guys about playing special teams, and because they see you out there and they know, hey, I got to be out there too.
4: Yeah. Well, I just tell them that there's no job that's too small. Um, I feel like special teams is is like a great way to like develop football skills. So it teaches you to be a fast, violent foot or or a fast, violent football player. And I just like to play defense, so that's like my only snaps of defense that I ever got to play in college football.
1: Great stuff from Michael Pittman there from practice this week. His final regular season game, he didn't want to even think about that. But the maturity of this kid, the only captain on the offensive side of the ball, he'll do anything like he talked about playing special teams. When he started off as a true freshman playing special teams, you're like, oh, you're going to burn his red shirt. But I think that's really helped him grow. Into the player he is, like you mentioned earlier, Keeley, a semi semifinalist. Just been amazing to watch him mature and how great of a player he's become for USC.
2: Without a doubt. And the maturity actually kind of started with the UCLA game. He mentioned that when he became obsessed with catching contested balls, making sure he catches everything, it was actually in the Rose Bowl against UCLA, he dropped a wide open pass from Sam Donald, oh, yeah and he said that just bothered him so much, so his goal then uh, from that point on has been not dropping any passes, and so someone told him, I think you only dropped one this season, he was like, that's not good enough so just the, the championship <laughs> mindset from Pittman is always admirable.
3: And he's been such a leader to those young guys, the Drake Londons, the Maneer McLeans, the younger guys on the team, but also just, just all the young guys, because they see a guy that's a Belitnikoff semifinalist now and he's willing to go out there on any of those special teams he's willing to do whatever is needed for the team you know my favorite play of the season might be when he jumped in at the end of that Arizona game when the game is already out of hand he sees there's ten players on the field on a punt, and he goes, "I'll jump out there and, and take care of it." Even though he'd been out of the game for about 20 minutes, Clay Helton calls a timeout. It's like, "What are you doing out there? We need someone else to be in there." But he, that's just how attentive he is, how much he cares, and you know, he's a special, special player. That's what John Baxter. That was the quote he gave me this week. You know, he loves him. He's known him since he was a little kid because uh, his dad played for him at Fresno State. So wow. you know, th- there's a good connection there, obviously, and and he loves being on special teams. It's going to be something that's going to help his career. In the future in the NFL because he's going to be a beast as a wide receiver but also a guy that could have a long extra longevity because of the special teams aspect of it as well yeah
1: championship mindset he brings that something USC desperately needed so he's been a great leader for the Trojans all right we're going to take a quick break and come back with our player perspective segment where Keely Yore breaks things down with former USC All-American safety Taylor Mays
0: Welcome back to the uscfootball.com Paris style pregame show. In this segment, we will look at the game from a player's perspective with host Keely Err and former USC All-American safety Taylor Mays.
2: We're back with another edition of Player's Perspective. Taylor, thanks so much for joining me.
6: Keely, what's going on?
2: Before we get into it, we have to thank our sponsors. Taylor, help me out here.
6: Well, special thanks to Platinum Storage and Store Local Companies for sponsoring the uscfootball.com Peristyle pregame show. Platinum Storage is one of the nation's leading privately held commercial real estate companies specializing in self-storage. Established in 1999, Platinum Storage owns, manages, and develops self-storage facilities in Southern California and throughout the United States. For more information, email inquiries at platinumstorage.com or call 949 770
2: Well, Taylor, it's another rivalry week. This week, it's USC's crosstown rival, UCLA. Now, I'm curious about this just because I'm a SoCal kid, so this was always a big thing growing up, but you're from Seattle. What did it mean for you to play in this rivalry?
6: It's interesting because I didn't grow up necessarily a fan of USC or UCLA. Being from Seattle, I was a huge University of Washington football fan. So when I came down to USC and first time that I played UCLA, I'm not one of these kids' from Southern California, Uh, most of the guys on the USC and UCLA football team, they grow up together, they play Little League football together, um, high school football, especially now with the way that recruiting is. And they're very familiar with each other, which just adds to what makes this rivalry different than really any other rivalry in college football. It's about bragging rights. Ten years later, ten years removed from the last time that I played in a USC versus UCLA game, Guys are still arguing about it. It's one of the it's one of the most competitive things that I argue about in my life. A couple of weeks ago I went to a bar with some of my friends to watch USC play Notre Dame. A guy named Bruce Davis walks in. And Bruce Davis, for you guys who don't know, is a defensive end who played in the NFL also, but he went to UCLA. And he's kind of infamous for being the player who got upset with Lee Corso and Kirk Herbstreit after this game where we lost 13-9 to to UCLA in 2006. Bruce and I are friends, but the first thing he said to me when he walked in was, Thirteen nine, referencing the game that we lost. We were a great football team. They weren't good. We lost to them at the Rose Bowl.
2: You're probably killing every USC fan who remembers I, you know, this. I, hey,
6: hey, it, it was tough, but it is what it is. And I think it just shows what rivalry games are. They had no business beating us in that game. They beat us and ten years later he's still talking about it. So for our guys, you know, this game will live on. I know our record is seven and four and UCLA's also been struggling this season, but this game matters. It's a fun game to play in, and I think everything is just amplified on Rivalry Week.
2: Well, when it comes to this year's UCLA team, what's your take on them? They had a three game winning streak. It looked like they had turned a corner and then as you like to say, they went to Utah and got smoked. What type of UCLA team could we see in the Coliseum?
6: This team has been very, very inconsistent. If you would have looked at them going into the Utah game, you would have thought, hey, this is going to be a very solid team. And then they played Utah and everything went out the window. I think the main reason for this is DTR, Dorian Thompson Robinson, their quarterback. And if you look at the way that he's been playing, he's accountable for 16 of their 20 turnovers. He's having plays where he's kind of running around and just fumbling the ball without contact you can't have that as a quarterback as the leader of your team and the kid has a ton of talent however he's just making plays that are basically giving the ball to the opponent also in the game against utah they got in the red zone three times and didn't score one point You can't win football games like that, and you can't win football games turning the ball over.
2: Now, part of the reason why UCLA beat USC last year was because of the running back, Joshua Kelly. He had 289 yards against USC's defense. Just absolutely torched them. It's going to be round two of that matchup. Now, USC's defensive coordinator, Clancy Pendergast, said it's a different thing this time around. There's new players. It's a new defensive front for USC. But how do you stop him this time around?
6: If I was a player on USC's defense, especially one that was here last year, I would be out to try and shut this running back down. Now, Joshua Kelly, he's been hurt a little bit this year. He still averages over 100 yards a game, but he's been a little bit nicked up. Of course, Chip Kelly's going to want to test our defense and test our uh, run defense and see can he do what he did last year. We have to swarm tackle. It's hard for one guy to tackle a big back in the hole. What we need is our guys to have great effort on defense, and when one guy grabs them or one guy gets his body on them, we need 10 other hats to the ball because a back like this can run through arm tackles, and I think that's what happened to us last year. We just we didn't tackle well at all, and our guys, especially our front seven and guys like Christian Rector, who is a senior, this is his last game playing in the Coliseum, they should be on a mission to say, hey, you ran for almost 300 yards against us last year. Not today, not on Saturday, not in the last game that I play in the Coliseum. And that should be the attitude of the defense.
2: Another possible run threat is DTR, too. He can get it done with his legs. That's something we talked about all season long. That's something that USC's defense struggles with. What's the key with him?
6: Well, I kind of downplayed DTR earlier, and he has really struggled. But at the same time, Joshua Kelly and DTR pose an interesting threat to this USC defense because if they can get the run game established, it opens plays that USC defense could be vulnerable to if they're running the ball against us and they're able to run play action and run play action boots and get DTR out of the pocket because he is able to run pretty well he's an agile quarterback and being able to get him out of the pocket and letting him use his legs to create second chance plays downfield one it'll be on our defensive line I think John Houston is another guy who's a senior playing in his last game at the Coliseum. He's a team leader in tackles right now. He's seven away from 100 on the season. And he's a guy at middle linebacker who's going to have to make some open field tackles. Us being able to shut down the run effectively in the beginning means that play actions won't matter. And it'll force a guy like DTR who struggled to throw the ball consistently downfield to have to be a pocket passer. And I don't know if they can beat us that way.
2: Now, on the other side of the ball, you and I have been kind of tracking Keaton Slovis's progress yeah. each week. I think it's worth noting that it seems like he's starting to really hit his stride right now.
6: Yeah, yeah, Keaton has really impressed me, and we've been pretty tough on him this season in our criticism. But if you look at Keenan Slovis, this guy, he was a backup coming into the season. He got thrust into the starting position. He played really well in his first start against Stanford. Then he got hurt. He played through the adversity of getting injured and then coming back, he looked really solid towards the end of the game against Notre Dame. And then we got into a couple games where he struggled a little bit, but in the last three or four weeks, he's kind of been going off. And the crazy part about it is he's done it without a running game, which has made it extremely hard for him because he doesn't have a, solid running game and we talked about stats last week of the offense was a lot more 50 50 the first half of the season and then now it's more 65 35 run pass so this guy in his first 10 games is you know he's thrown for 270 yards a game and his completion percentage is almost 71 percent versus dtr who was at 59 i mean that's a pretty big difference and i think keaton has made all the strides and gotten all the experience that we would want a true freshman quarterback to get. He's dealt with adversity and I think he's done really well for himself.
2: It also helps when you have the talented receivers that he's throwing to. Yeah, We saw what happens when you try and go one-on-one, try and go and demand coverage against USC's wide receivers. Yeah. If you're UCLA's defense, how are you trying to approach this game? How are you trying to cover these talented wide receivers?
6: Well, you got to do something and UCLA's defense likes to play man they play man pretty regularly but we've seen what happened to Cal and we pumped up Cal last week and said that hey this Cal secondary is tough they play really well together Cal tried to play man against us and they got torched and this UCLA secondary is ranked 122nd in passing yards per game I mean they're really struggling they only have four interceptions and if you're UCLA if you're gonna play man then you have to blitz because you can't give Keaton time to throw the ball. What I would do, what I would think that UCLA would do, is play zone against us or try to do some form of uh, rush three drop eight with a ton of underneath defenders because that's been the only thing that Keaton hasn't played particularly well at this season he's progressed at it and he progressed we saw with the touchdown that he threw to Drake London but on a consistent basis that's something that he struggled with but I don't know if I mean we saw Michael Pittman go off last week we saw Drake London really have a coming out party last week I don't think this UCLA secondary can match up, but if they play zone, even if they roll to Michael Pittman, which means play cover two to him, that's what defenses have done against us this season that has been successful. So that's what I would do if I was UCLA. But when that happens, that's two guys on Pittman, and that's nine guys to cover the rest of the offense. Somebody else has to win, and that's where Keaton needs to find the right receiver and and throw the ball on point.
2: Alrighty Taylor, for the last time of the regular season, your nine and two record on the line. How do you think this one's gonna go on Saturday?
6: Well, first of all I want to bring attention to Keeley, tell me the football game and who you were supporting in this football game that made you decide you wanted to work in sports media.
2: It might have been the thirteen to nine game, you know.
6: But who were you supporting in that game?
2: I'll just say I was supporting Bruce Davis. How about that?
6: Yeah, I see. I just wanted to make that <laughs> You're known. You're just outing me. We have a spy. <laughs> There's a spy in our ranks.
2: Hey, it's not my fault.
6: But hey, anyway, even though we have a spy, I will say that uh, I'm very proud of this USC football team for this year, for what they've been able to accomplish. It obviously hasn't been great. It's not what we would want consistently from our teams. But coming off of a 5-7 and seven season and having to play with your backup quarterback, this team's been all right. They left some definitely some wins on the table, but they persevered. They really played well last week. And I think what happened last week against Cal will push them forward, especially on defense going into this UCLA game. And I think it's the challenge that we need because in the past we have struggled against mobile quarterbacks. I don't think they can stop us. I think we'll score 49 points on offense. I think the key thing will be how well UCLA's offense comes out and plays and if USC's defense is really just able to just shut them down and if they do that you know it'll be a blowout a little bit so obviously I gotta go with USC not just because I went to USC but because USC's the better football team in this game
2: well we'll see how it goes on Saturday but Taylor thanks so much for joining me once again
6: Keely thank you
2: righty, we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna go behind enemy lines
0: Welcome back to the uscfootball.com peristyle pregame show. In this segment, host Ryan Abraham will go behind
1: enemy lines and get insight on the game from USC's opponent's point of view. Before we get to our guests, I'd like to thank Trader Joe's for their sponsorship of the uscfootball.com peristyle pregame show. The next time you visit the USC campus, check out the Trader Joe's at the USC Village where you can find food and drink from the everyday to the oddly interesting, all at amazing prices. You can't miss the store. It's in the red brick building. All right, let's bring in our guest, David Woods, my partner on the podcast of champions, doing a great job for Bruin Report Online, covering UCLA football, basketball and recruiting right here on the 24-7 Sports Network. Welcome in, David. How are you?
7: I'm doing great, Ryan. Long time, no talk.
1: Yeah, it's been a while. We, t- we do talk a lot because we do the podcast of champions together, but this is the l- rivalry week. This is where the teams we cover get to clash and play each other. And both teams seem to be on a bit of a high note, except last weekend. I don't know what happened with the with the Bruins, Dave, but beating Stanford, beating ASU, beating Colorado, uh, impressive looking team after that, you know, the early preseason stuff with Chip Kelly. But what happened against Utah and can this team bounce back just a week later against their big rival?
7: I mean, I appreciate the pump up, but I think a forty-nine to three loss to Utah kind of wipes out the positive feelings from the three-game winning streak. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's really the question is whether they can bounce back. I think emotionally, more than really anything, schematically from that game, losing by forty-six points is one of those devastators. That's I, it's it's worse than you know losing a whatever USC did against Oregon, right, where you lose by like thirty. 46 points where you only score three um, and you just kind of have the will systematically taken out of you by an opponent. That's a tough thing to bounce back from, and that's going to be the challenge. It's going to be a big challenge for Chip Kelly and company this week. I think USC presents a slight more favorable matchup in a few different ways than uh, Utah did, but it's still a very good offense. Michael Pittman especially is going to be very tough to cover. If you watch Utah against this UCLA secondary um, and watch their tight end have his way with Stephen Blaylock in man coverage. The visions of Michael Pittman going for like 200 plus receiving yards are, uh, they seem very real right now.
1: Yeah, that's certainly the strength of USC's uh, offense. The strength of UCLA's offense, Joshua Kelly had a huge game against USC last year. He's second in the Pac 12 in rushing. He's got 10 touchdowns, 939 yards. How's he kind of developed this year?
7: So, uh, Kelly started off the year a little bit hurt. Um, He dinged up his knee in practice in fall camp, and then it took him, I would say, probably four games before he started to round into form. Um, He's been really good. Big part of why there was that surge in that three game winning streak where UCLA's offense started to look a little bit better and, and just the whole team generally looked a little bit better. He's Back to, I think, nearly full health. Um, He's not quite as explosive as he was last year, largely because the offensive line just isn't quite as good and hasn't quite gelled as much as last year. But he's still doing the same stuff. He gets hit for what should be no gain, and he grinds out three or four yards. Um, He's really great about taking plays that are blocked for nothing or blocked for one or two yards and just turning him into three or four more yards than that. Um, He runs with a great combination of power and speed, just kind of does everything really well. Nothing spectacular um, at any real level, but does everything really well. Um, I think he should have another good game. I I don't know that I would predict him going for 300 yards or nearly like he did last year, though.
1: The uh, sophomore quarterback, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, how would you assess his play? Uh, Not a real high Completion percentage fifty nine point nine percent. He does got he had seventeen touchdown passes with ten picks. Also ran for three more touchdowns. How, how would you uh, say he's played this year?
7: So I would say it's been a mixed bag, and I think there have been moments of real catastrophic failure mixed in with moments of brilliance. He's still very young and early on his learning curve. Um, if you remember. From As a prospect, he only started one year of high school football um, at quarterback, and then it was halftime last year, um, and then he's been the full-time starter this year. So he still doesn't have that many reps, but you'll see him make some really beautiful throws and plays where you're just like, wow, that guy is a dynamic athlete. He can do anything on a football field. And I think there's also been four or five times this year where he has just fumbled the ball in like empty handed, no contact Uh situation, just drops the ball. So it's just, it can be really hit or miss. Last week was a big miss. He was very bad for most of the game um, after the opening drive when he looked pretty good. But after that, he was, he was really rough and it looked much more like the Thompson Robinson we saw at the beginning of the year, but he had long stretches in the middle part of the year where he looked pretty good. So it's tough to know what you're going to get from from week to week. Um, I still think he has the potential to be a good quarterback, uh, but he's not there yet on any consistent level. But week to week, he can show it. Um, you know, he might suddenly play at you know his ninety percent level this week. It's just hard to know going into the game.
1: Who have his uh, top targets been? Looks like Kyle Phillips, the the freshman's doing well, and uh, the transfer Devin Asiasi is well at tight end.
7: Yeah, I would say Kyle Phillips has probably been his most comfortable and consistent target. Um, If you'll recall, Theo Howard was on the team, but he um, elected to transfer, put his name in the transfer portal uh, four games into the year after not really playing much because of an injury. So Phillips has kind of stepped into the role as more or less the number one receiver. Um, You'll see him you know, throw a little bit to Chase Coda and Jalen Irwin, but Phillips has been by far the most reliable guy, um, best hands, most reliable at getting open. Um, and Devin Asiasi's been good. He hasn't been Caleb Wilson. Um, and so I don't think he's been the consistent outlet that Thompson Robinson needs. So you'll see a lot of balls to Kyle Phillips. They've also used a walk-on Ethan Fernia a little bit, um, especially more of late. But Phillips is the main deal there. Uh, Demetric Felton Is another name to watch. He is mostly a running back, but he's most devastating as a pass catcher out of the backfield. They'll sometimes line him up in the slot as well to take advantage of some mismatches, Um, but he's probably another guy to watch in that pass game. Uh, They generally don't throw it to too many pure wide receivers. Phillips is more or less the number one guy there.
1: David, on the uh, defensive side of the ball, I'm not sure if you're aware, but uh, USC has a freshman quarterback, Keaton Slovis, who's thrown for 400 mm-hmm. yards the last two games. Apparently, the UCLA secondary may, might not be, you know, playing at a high level, giving up almost 300 yards a game. What What do you look for in that matchup? Because it seems like a sort of a mismatch there.
7: Uh, yeah, I think that's a fair assessment, <laughs> Ryan. Um, yeah, so. Here's the thing, too. So the, the thing that was making UCLA's defense actually semi-respectable in that three-game stretch um, against Stanford, Colorado, and ASU was that they were bringing pressure and sending blitzers and using their smaller defensive lineman package, but also sending pretty frequent blitzes. A lot of times that was married with man coverage. If we've learned anything from watching USC this year, the, the general rule is don't play man coverage yes. against USC. I'm looking at this one, and I think it's a pick your poison. When UCLA's gone to its kind of zone-heavy passive defense, they've been horrible at all levels, but that might be the only way to really play against USC. From my personal preference standpoint, I would still prefer they go aggressive and just, look, if Michael Pittman's going to beat you, he's going to beat you, no matter what you do, but... I think the only chance they have is if they get like a devastating amount of pressure on Keaton Slovis and that's going to require their best interior rush guys. Osa Digazu is going to have to play the game of his life at basically a three tech, but they're going to need to get pressure on him um, because I don't see a coverage plan that works for UCLA against this one. I think if they zone, they've run a terrible zone this year. Wow. If they man, yeah, they're going to get beat, but they might, you know, occasionally create a negative play on Slovis. And I think that's their best chance to shut down this offense.
1: Uh, Osa Digazua leads the uh, Bruins in sacks with three and a half, I believe, uh, and tackles for loss with nine. Who are some of the other defensive standouts for UCLA?
7: Um, Well, he's been the one that's been, like, exclusively a positive. There have been other guys (laughs) who have had moments um, where they've been good. uh, But it's been a mixed bag there, too. Uh, Chris Barnes, he had a really nice stretch of play. Uh, In that three-game winning streak, um, and then reverted to a lot of really bad habits against Utah, got taken out of a lot of plays, overran a lot of plays, tried to jump at Tyler Huntley when he pump faked, and that left him, you know, unable to deal with Huntley then scrambling past him. But he had some good moments. If he can get back to a high-level play, that'll be good. Darnay Holmes, I think, has been solid this year, but I would say he's actually not as good as he was last year. He, too, I think, started the year a little bit dinged up, um, so that may have played into it um, somewhat. But I, it's it's not a real talent heavy defense, I would say. Um, I think Keyshawn Luther South is another guy who, if they're going the pass rush route, if they're going to put pressure on foil this, he's another guy who has to have a big game. And he's at him this year after coming back from the suspension after three games. He's he's definitely been a, a brighter spot for the defense, but not a ton to like in this in this UCLA defense. Just no one's really popped. All
1: right. Uh, turnovers turnovers always a big deal, especially in rivalry games. You uh, UCL had some issues, I believe, five turnovers against Utah. USC is actually last in the conference in turnover margin. Where, where have the Bruins sat this year as far as uh, forcing turnovers and taking care of the football?
4: Taking care of the
7: football has been uh, pretty bad. Um, <laughs> again, when you're when your quarter, I think Dorian Thompson Robinson, I was looking at stats recently and don't. Don't quote me on this, even though I am on the record on this show. I think he leads the league in quarter and in turnovers by a single player, which basically means the quarterback turnovers um, because he's had so many fumbles along with the 10 picks. Um, And when your quarterback's turning it over like that, I mean, you're going to be pretty bad at turnover margin. They've generated a few. I don't think this is I, I think the Washington State game was one I think where they recovered. It was like four or five fumbles, but they haven't been like a consistent, you know, turning you over a ton type team um, if they were they'd be a better defense as it is you know it's it's been there in spurts but the, uh, turnovers it's not really something you can easily control I mean it's a weird game the ball is a funny shape it bounces funny uh-huh. um, so the simple fact that Dorian Thompson Robinson is has, has turned it over so much in unforced situations is probably the biggest story from the turnover margin for
1: UCLA. On the uh, special teams front, uh, I know JJ Molson doesn't have the best uh, field goal percentage, but how overall have the special teams units been for the Bruins?
7: Better than in years past. Um, kick and return, uh, kick and punt return coverage has been actually pretty solid, and they've been bad for three or four years now. So that's a that's a big switch for UCLA. And I would say in their own return game, uh, Kyle Phillips is definitely somebody to watch on punt returns. Um, I think he's averaging something crazy, like 20 yards of punt return, but he has a punt return for a touchdown this year. Felton on kickoff returns, uh, he has a kickoff return for a touchdown this year. So there's there's some definitely dynamic playmaking ability there. The kicking game has actually been the weakness. Uh, J.J. Molson, I think, has missed four or five kicks now and just hasn't looked anywhere near what you would expect from a senior UCLA kicker. And, you know, punting, they've been fine. They have a transfer, Wade Lees, who's been fine he's
1: an Aussie guy all right Dave does a great job covering the UCLA Bruins for bro make sure you check out his stuff thanks for coming on Dave no problem man all right we'll take a quick break and be back here for our final segment on the Peristyle pregame show
5: new CBS Monday federal agents here's where we can see them NCIS Hawaii is back to it all new criminals to catch
1: Armed robbery, aggravated assault, murder.
5: And new investigations to be solved. These guys were good, but even masters make mistakes. Vanessa Lachey and featuring LL Cool J.
1: Violin Island, you got him
5: Welcome to Paradise. A new NCIS Hawaii Monday, 10, 9 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount. Plus
0: Welcome back to the USCFootball.com Parastyle pregame show. Here's your host,
1: Ryan Abraham. We're going to finish up the show with Chris Trevino's five bold predictions for the UCLA game. We'll hear from USC linebacker John Houston. And finally, Keeley Shotgun and I will give our game predictions. Thanks to Platinum Storage and the store local companies for sponsoring the uscfootball.com peristyle pregame show. Platinum Storage is one of the nation's leading privately held commercial real estate companies specializing in self-storage. Established in 1999, Platinum Storage owns, manages, and develops self-storage facilities in Southern California and throughout the United States. For more information, email inquiries at platinumstores.com or call 949-770-2232. Let's get right into Chris Trevino's Bold Predictions.
5: Prediction number one, another 400-yard-for-four-touchdown game for Keaton Slovis. I'm going big on number nine in the final home game of the season and looking for him to push his 400-for-four streak to three consecutive games. In fact, Slovis has thrown for at least 400 yards and four touchdowns in three of his last four games. UCLA's poor pass defense numbers are a little inflated due to the 507 passing yards and nine touchdowns it allowed in the Washington State game, but it ranks number 124 in the country at just over 298 passing yards allowed per game. Washington State is the only team to throw for at least 400 yards on UCLA, but I'm still picking number nine on Saturday. Prediction number two, a third consecutive game with a touchdown for Amon Ross St. Brown. I'm keeping the streak pattern going with another touchdown reception for St. Brown, who has quietly become a major weapon this month for Slovis. Over his last three games, Amin Raw has 20 receptions for 319 yards and two touchdowns. A touchdown on Saturday will mark the first time in his USC career he scored a touchdown in three consecutive games. In last year's loss to the Bruins, he caught six passes for 98 yards and a score. And remember, UCLA has allowed 27 passing touchdowns this season, number 125 in the country. Prediction number three two sacks for Christian Rector on Saturday. Now, Rector's senior season has not lived up to the expectations. Rector has only played in seven of USC's 11 games this year, three missed with a high ankle sprain, he wasn't 100% against Notre Dame, and he missed virtually the entire Cal game after that targeting call in the first series. This season, he's recorded 16 tackles, two tackles for a loss, and one sack. Now, in two games against the Bruins, he's yet to record a sack but I see a big game coming for number 98 in his final homestand in the Coliseum, especially with a sense of urgency with his last two games left. Prediction number four, another Isaiah Polamau interception. If you listen to all my predictions this season, you know I've picked turnovers for Talano Hufunga a couple times, and every time it seems like Polamau gets one in response. Polamau not only leads the team with four picks, but has nabbed one in three consecutive games, which hasn't been done at USC since 1998. Now his uncle, USC legend Troy Polamalu, will be in the house on Saturday, honored for the College Football Hall of Fame induction, so that will be another form of motivation for number 21. The Bruins have also thrown 10 interceptions this season, third most in the Pac-12. And finally, prediction number 5, USC is perfect on red zone trips. If I'm picking another monster day for Keaton Slovis I'm also to believe that the Trojans can be perfect in the red zone. USC's offense went a perfect 6-for-6 six six against the Cow defense last week and UCLA is number 69 in the country in opponents red zone conversions at 83.3%.
3: Nice choices there from Chris. I'm going to agree with number 1 and number 2. I'm going to go to the offensive side. 400 yards and 4 touchdowns for Slovis. That hasn't been very difficult for him in the last <laughs> few weeks and the fact that you're going against this UCLA defense that's really struggled against the pass I think that's going to happen and I I think he's going to spread the ball around again. If you look back last week against Cal, he threw four touchdowns to four different guys. Amon Ross St. Brown getting a touchdown for the third straight game. You know, if anyone's going to get one, it's going to be Pittman and Ra. I think those two guys are, are the ones that will definitely get one, and then you kind of spread it out from there. I think that those both happen in this one as USC throws the ball and has some success there.
2: Now I'm going to go with the counter prediction. Chris predicted that Isaiah Polamau is going to get his fourth consecutive interception. I'm going to go with Talano Hufunga. He's going to pick oh, up the interception. Yeah, switching it up. So Hufunga, look for that interception there.
1: So that would be really bum Chris out because if he predicts... All kinds of interceptions for Hufanga, and then he switches it, and you predict the one for Hufanga, and it comes true. That's
2: solely why I'm predicting.
1: Maybe they'll (laughs) both get one. We'll see. Uh, I'm going to go with my boy Christian Rector, the pride of Loyola High School. He's a senior. His last home game. Chris saying he's going to get two sacks. I'm going to go with them on this one. You know, uh, we've seen this UCLA offense really rely on the run game, but if USC gets out early and and scores some of those touchdowns that— Chris and Chaka were talking about from uh, Keaton Slovis to Amon Rossi-Brown and all those wide receivers, they might have to throw the ball a little bit more and not a very high completion percentage for Dorian Thompson-Robinson. If he's got to drop back and pass a little bit more, This pass rush could get after him. I could see Christian Rector a little upset, missing most of the Cal game because of that targeting call, getting after DTR and getting a couple of sacks like Chris predicted. But going from one senior captain to another, we talked to John Houston this week at practice. He's trying to get to 100 tackles. He'd love to get a few on Joshua Kelly who ran all over this defense last year. So here's our interview with John Houston. John, obviously
5: it's UCLA week. What does this rivalry mean to you? Revenge has come up sometimes this week, you know, Revenge Week. Some of the players mentioned it against Cal, and now obviously UCLA, they handed you that loss last year. How do you keep re- revenge in the back of your mind, but not let those emotions take over during the game or during the the week of practice?
8: uh For me, revenge is not the word. I take it more as a a mindset game to come out here and try to dominate and show that we are who we are and just show it out on the field and so that nobody else can say that we're not. So that's, that's what it is to me.
5: What sort of legacy do you hope that you've left with some of the younger generation, the linebackers under you?
8: For me, I would say just never give up. I mean, me, I had a long process, a long journey, and it wasn't as clean as it is today, but I feel like uh, I came in and tried to do my best and adapt and learn and be a, be a leader. And I always wasn't being a vocal leader, but now I've came to be one of the vocal leaders out here. So I feel it's adapting, change, and always trying to be out there, showing the coaches that you're out here and you care about the ball, care about your team, care about everybody else.
5: Yeah, do you feel like you can speak on adversity because you went through that early in your career and to look where you are now, starter, going into your third year?
8: Yeah, I feel for sure. For sure, I came out, uh, adversity is one of the words I, I highlight, man, because I came out here with a back injury and a red redshirted and had to still come out and compete with a new coaching staff. And I, I did that over four years. So I feel like I for sure have seen adversity and, and conquered it. A
5: little more to the game on Saturday. What have you seen from UCLA watching them on film? Or what do you think they pose the biggest challenge for you guys on offense?
8: UCLA trying to come out with different packages, 14, 13, 12, 11. They just try to mix it up, trying to see what they can get big plays on. I feel like we just got to come out here and do our job and execute our plays, and execute everything that we need to do assignment-based uh, football.
5: Obviously, Josh Kelly had a big game against you guys last year. You don't want that to happen again. What do you guys have been emphasizing on defense to, in the run game and stopping UCLA's run game?
8: Uh, for us, it's assignment-based uh, defense to where Everybody make sure everybody has their gaps, assignments, and everybody knows what they have to do in certain, in certain formations and different tendencies.
5: Now, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but you're seven tackles away from reaching the 100 tackle mark, which is you know kind of significant. I was wondering, do you think about that? Do you know you're only seven tackles away? What would it mean for you to hit? You know, 100 tackles, which has only been done three times this last decade?
8: For me, this year, I didn't really focus on my um, personal stats. I was more focused on the team uh, team aspect of it just because we have a younger team trying to be more uh, hands-on leader, just try, trying to work it by myself because my plays will come. My plays, I will make my plays, and I just have to just make sure that I'm disciplined making sure everybody else is good on their assignment and their their technique and everybody making their play so i mean it's a, it's a big accomplishment of that if i when i make it it's going to be a big accomplishment i, I will celebrate it but right now i'm focused on ucla and then focused on the bowl week after that
5: yeah i know you have a couple more games left but off the top of your head favorite moment as a trojan
8: my favorite moment as a trojan probably in the coliseum uh against arizona state i mean arizona when i had uh ripped the ripped the pass from somebody into the game. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's one of my favorite moments.
1: Now, that would be quite the accomplishment for John Houston if he's able to get to 100 tackles. We've seen Cameron Smith do that. And John Houston, a lot of criticism, guys. I mean, he moved from the wheel spot where he felt really comfortable to play the middle, where he could make all the calls. People saying he's undersized. But, man, he just keeps going out there producing I think he's you know, played pretty well this second half of the season. I like what he's doing, and he's been a big part of this USC defense.
2: And that's the sense you get when you talk to both USC's players and coaches. They really admire what John Houston has done for this defense, both on and off the field. I was talking to some of the players this week about, you know, what are, what are things that John Houston does that you might not see if you're just watching the games as a fan or whatnot. And they said in the film room, he's always helping the younger guys. He's saying, "Hey, take these notes or look at this." You know, he's just been that voice. Maybe you don't hear it on the field necessarily, but He's been that voice that's guiding the younger guys and this defense as a whole.
3: Yeah, he's basically the heart of the defense this year. You look on the sidelines during games; you know he's been getting hugs from Clay Helton and Johnny Nansen and some of the other defensive coaches. Just you know, after things have happened, Johnny Nansen brought him up just randomly in in a conversation uh, after the Arizona State game in an interview. You know, the players all, like you said, all respect him and, and talk about how important he's been. Kenai Malga, I talked to him earlier this week, and he said, you know, the reason why he's been able to you know make that ascension as a will linebacker and fill in for Palier and Aitote is because John Houston has been telling him hey you got to get in the, uh, the film room hey watch this look for this and he's been a real big has been, made a real big impact on a lot of guys around him more than just his play and his play like Ryan said has really improved you know after say that Notre Dame game he's been making a ton of tackles he's been flying around the ball not missing many tackles and he's a guy that with his size and speed is going to get a chance at the next level now what he does with it will be up to him but he'll get an opportunity to to, to be in a mini minicamp uh, in the NFL, and we'll see how his career continues to progress from there.
2: And Chaka, you mentioned Kanai Malga. It looks like he will still get the start at that well position. Paliye Naote Ode didn't play against Cal. He's been rehabbing at practice this week, but it still looks like he's uh, a ways away from returning. As far as wide receivers go, Tyler Vaughns was listed as 75% by Clay Hilton, so we'll see if he gets uh, more work this week. A running back of I Malapai is still day-to-day. I tried to get something out of running backs coach Mike Jinx but he said, you know, I don't want to give any more predictions. <laughs> just because he's been uh, trying to give back but can't fully make it there. So we'll see as far as Malapai goes. And then Brett Nealon with that calf strain is still out, so Justin Dietrich is going to get his second start at that center position.
1: All right, thanks for the injury update, Keeley. It's time we got to do our game predictions. Now, you guys know me. I don't usually pick USC to win or to cover the spread. The Trojans, though, are 6-5 and five against the spread this year, so they're doing a lot better job. This is a 13-and-a-half point Spread in Las Vegas. I do think USC is going to cover I do think the matchup between the USC wide receivers and the UCLA defensive backs is not a good one for the Bruins. So I'm going to pick USC 38, UCLA 24.
2: Yeah, I think I'm going to go along those same lines, Ryan. 41-21. to 21. USC, I think it's going to be a close game in the beginning, but ultimately, USC will get the win. That wide receiver DB matchup between USC and UCLA, I just don't think it's favorable for the Bruins.
3: You know, I think it's going to come down to turnovers for one. You know, both teams have struggled in that category. So if one team gets a big, you know, a three or four plus turnover margin, I think that could swing the game. However, if you go just on talent, USC definitely has the advantage here. And anytime that UCLA is giving up 20 points, They've really struggled. You know, they're two and six. Now, one of those was the 67 to 63 win over Washington State, an incredible comeback in that game for the Bruins. But outside of that, you know, you're one and six when the opponent scores 20 points. I don't think they're holding USC's offense down, especially the way Keaton Slowis has been rolling with those receivers. I got USC winning this one
1: probably 38 to 24, 38 to 21. All right, well, we'll see how this one turns out. I want to thank all of you for hanging with us early on USC Game Day for UCLA Week. Thanks to our sponsors, Trader Joe's and Platinum Storage, plus contributors Keely Yor, Shotguns Sprattling, Chris Trevito, David Woods, and Taylor Mays. Make sure you check back. We'll have another pair-style pregame show before the bowl game. So enjoy the game, and we will talk to you next time.
0: Greetings, Fantasy Warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on
3: FFT Dynasty. Join me this off-season where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy.
7: If, if I was Adam with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense.
3: And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll
0: elevate your roster to legendary status. Pukunuku. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty
1: now and together we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here.